Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give you this land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife from my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharaim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar so that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she'd given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely, to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becker and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Of God. So the uh, second part of our reading uh, continues on page 25. 
uh, Genesis 2454 to 67. Uh, and uh, in the intervening verses, the servant, his traveling companions and the camels have been warmly welcomed, all parties recognizing that God's plan is being enacted and there's been agreement for Rebecca to go and be Isaac's wife. So we pick up at verse 54. Oh, I've lost my page now. <laughs> okay. So then he, the servant, and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, Let the young woman remain with us ten days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, Do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, Let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, Will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man coming in the field to meet us? He's my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Oh, not quite sure how many glasses of water there are in there now. Oh well, be fine. Just keep putting a new one there every Sunday. Um, wonderful. So do keep that passage open, Genesis 24. And I'll move some of these Bibles just over as well. Uh, Genesis 24, we're going to be looking at uh, most of that, that passage, um, 67 verses or something. So we're not going to be able to go through it all in, in super detail. Um, I thought it'd be good to, to start off with a question to get us thinking about this passage and its relevance for us. Um, I wonder what you think makes a good love story. So we're going to be thinking about this evening. What makes a good love story? What are the particular things that you might find, whether it's a book or, or a film or, or a box set, something like that? Um, and what comes to mind when you think of love stories? Um, I was asking myself this question. The first thing that came to mind was, was Romeo and Juliet, probably one of the most famous love stories of all time. But Romeo and Juliet, like a lot of other popular love stories, is well, it doesn't end happily, does it? Sorry if this is spoilers, but it's 500 years old. You should have read it by now. It ends in tragedy. So many love stories finish in tragedy. Tragic consequences of these two lovers. And, and things just don't seem to work out right in the end. This, this sad fate that they both share. This tragic consequences. 
so many love stories we, we read or, or watch have that kind of element. There's something goes wrong at the end. But that's quite different to what we see in the Bible and particularly in this chapter, in chapter 24, as we think about God's love story for us. Because unlike in Romeo and Juliet, where there were these sad, uh, their fortunes never quite work out and when one comes to see the other, they think they're dead and then they take their own life and then wake up and, and it all goes terribly wrong. What we see in Genesis 24 is, is God working out the details to make sure that his love story will come true. Not a victim of the elements and the sadness of, of fortune or of fate, but God working through the details. That's what we're going to be thinking about. And the kind of the, the lofty word you might use to describe how God works in this passage and through humans like, like you and me and like the people we've seen in this passage is called divine providence. Divine as in God and providence in terms of working out his plan, his love story through human people like you and me. And uh, in this chapter, we see uh, our attention brought to, to four different people. And each one of those people highlight a particular way that God works through his people to bring about his goal of reconciling a sinful humanity to himself, of bringing sinners like you and me back into his family. These four areas, if you've got the green sheets, they're on the back, you can scribble on those. Motivation, prayer, obedience, and how it leads to hope. All of these things, God working through these people to bring about his plan, to bring about his love story. God working through even the smallest, seemingly uh, insignificant details. This wonderful love story, God at work through it. Because one day through this family line that we're reading about, one day through this family line would come the one who would save us from our sins and would fulfill, would be the happy ending to that love story. So let's have a look at these four different characters this passage talks about and, and see what each one teaches us about how God works through people like you and me. The first thing we're going to think about is this, how God works through godly motivation. So what are our motives? What motivates us in our life? So and the first thing is we see with, with Abraham. Now we've been with Abraham for uh, 12 chapters or so. Go all the way back to Genesis 12 and God's promise to him that through Abraham, through his descendants, God would bless the nations of the earth. And the Genesis is, is the unraveling of what that looks like with each successive generation until it goes from, from one little man camping out in the desert to hundreds and then thousands of people. Uh, so let's have a look at godly motivation. And we see that in, in Abraham and in his character, particularly his motivation for the right kind of wife for his son, Isaac. Now, um, flick on back to, to verse 1. So it says about Abraham. Abraham was now very old and the Lord had blessed him in every way. So Abraham is nearing the end of his life. He's very old. His wife, Sarah, as we saw last time, has died. It's now him and his son, but he's got servants. He's got people around him. But it's his son he is looking to, to be the next step in the fulfillment of God's promise to bless the nations and to bless the world. 
We're told that God had provided everything in abundance in Abraham's life. He had more than he needed. It was a display of God's generosity and goodness. But with his age, with with him approaching death, he needed to provide for the next generation. Now, we don't know why Isaac was unable to to find a, a wife for himself. But clearly, Abraham takes his responsibility as a father very seriously in making sure that Isaac has the right kind of wife. So he gets his his chief servant in his household. He might be a guy called Eliezer of Damascus. We read back about in chapter 15, but not entirely sure. And there's that strange bit with put your hand under my thigh and and the commentators on this will scratch their head. What's going on there? But basically he's getting him to swear on oath, swear a promise. This is how serious it is. You know, you you don't just make an agreement with someone, a serious agreement, unless you're willing for them to put their hand under your thigh. Um, it, 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 it depicts it's probably quite, something quite serious going on there, isn't it? And uh, anyway, he gets his servant to go and uh, get ready to, to find a wife for Isaac. But look, there are some restrictions to the kind of uh, person that this servant should look for. Verse 3, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living but will go to my country, my own relatives, and get a wife for my son, Isaac. So he doesn't want a local wife. Why is that? Well, they were living in the land that God had promised Abraham and his generations, in the land of Canaan and what is now Israel and the Middle East. But as even though Abraham was a follower of God, that couldn't be said for the people who he was living around. And time and time again we see in the Bible when someone who is a follower of God marries into a family where they are not followers of God, they are led astray. They are led astray to worship false gods and to turn their back on God. Abraham was also aware of that danger and wanted Isaac to be married to someone who loved God and who wouldn't lead him astray like the Canaanite women might have done. He wanted someone who also worships the living God. Now, a marriage relationship is, is the most important relationship that, that someone could be in, except for our relationship with God, which is why it's important to think about who our spouse should be. If you're a young person, think about look, maybe in, in you know, however many years' time, the kind of person who you would like to marry. It's important to think about who that is. Will this person hinder my relationship with God? Is this someone who doesn't know and love God? Or is it someone who will support me and I can support as we both follow the living God together? Just like Abraham prioritizes that in looking for a wife for his son. So, so single people should be prioritizing that if they are looking for someone to marry. He tells his servant as well that he is not to take Isaac back to that country but he was to stay there in this land that God had promised to him, but to rather get a wife from that country to come and live with him in this land that God had promised him. Now, there must have been all sorts of temptations to, to go back to the family home where, where Abraham was before, before he came and before he followed God into this promised land. Life in Canaan must have been hard. We'd seen that in some of the, the scrapes that Abraham had got into over these years. But this was Abraham's obedience and his motivation to live in the place that God had told him to live in. 
This was God's plan, remember, God's plan to bring about his true love story in this world. So Abraham chooses the kind of wife that Isaac should marry to continue on with that plan. And we have looked down at verse 7, and we see the confidence he has for this motivation. Verse 7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household, so he's retelling the story, he brought me out of my father's household, my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son there. Abraham is demonstrating confidence based on what God has, has promised and based on God's past actions. Everything that, that Abraham has seen of God and believes about God, his faith is still going strong after all these years. He has been brought out from his land into a land he's been promised and God has promised to provide for him. We see through these chapters of Genesis that God has provided for Abraham. He has confidence that the kind of acts like a foundation for his, his motivation. Motivation for doing right will be influenced by how much we believe God has done for us. If we, if we struggle to believe that, that God has done anything really of, of note for us, then we're going to find it hard to have the right kind of godly motivation in terms of the decisions that we make. But that's the first thing we see in Abraham, is how God works through people's motivations to bring about his goal, to bring about his true love story in the world. The next thing we see is how God works through godly prayer. We go on to see in this servant how God answers prayer specifically and quickly to demonstrate his power. Have a look down at verses 12 to 14. So this is the servant. He prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So this servant isn't just saying, oh, just just bring along someone um, that will be great. He's really specific, someone who is offering to be kind, who will get him a drink, but also enough water for your camels too. Now we're told that he's got 10 camels with him. A thirsty camel needs about 50 gallons of water. So 10, I'm not great at maths, so that's, that's 500 gallons of water plus how thirsty he's feeling after that journey and any extra that you might drop along the way. I'm also told that when she does turn up, she has to go down to this spring. So it's, it's an incredible prayer when you think about just how unlikely it seems to have, have happened. But anyway, the servant has this plea uh, and prays to God. Perhaps he wasn't even expecting it to be answered. Perhaps he was expecting to go back empty-handed. But it's a desperate prayer, isn't it? He has got to find a wife for Isaac. I wonder, do you find your prayer changing when you're in a desperate situation? Perhaps you find yourself praying more when you're in a hard situation facing illness or, or loss or some kind of difficulty. He has promised under oath to his master to find a wife for Isaac. There were no uh, 
date shows um, in the, the second century, uh, second millennium uh, BC. And he decides to pray to God, to ask for God to make the right person appear to him. He sets the bar high. He is really specific. But he wants to identify someone with a willing and servant-hearted spirit. And getting 500 gallons of water, that's pretty servant-hearted. That's pretty amazing. Um, I love this bit in verse 15. He's still praying this, in one sense, this ridiculous prayer. And we're told, before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. God knew he was going to pray, but even before this servant had finished praying, God had already answered the prayer, and we see he's answering it specifically and quickly. Because this is part of God's plan. It's not that he was he was waiting and and hoping for this servant to, to pray, and then, oh, well, maybe I'll do something. God was pleased to work through Abraham's servant, as he's pleased to work through us, to bring about his plan. In this case, to bring about his true love story in the world. He's using the servant's prayer to bring about that plan. It's God working in tiny little details, but also showing his power to provide for his people by answering prayer. So God immediately answers that prayer before the servant's finished praying. And we're told in in verse 16 that this is the woman who would be right for Isaac. She is the one prayed for. We see that in verse 18, it gets clearer. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. So that's the first good sign. She's given him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too. So exactly in the way that he had prayed, she is now offering to help until they had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar, she's not waiting around, into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. Now, it doesn't say how long she was doing this, but this is going to take more than a few minutes. Incredible uh, servant-heartedness here from Rebecca, but an amazing answer to prayer by God. For this hard-working, godly woman carrying over 500 gallons of water, And what does the servant do when he sees God's faithfulness in answering that prayer? Well, he praises God immediately. Look at 26 and 27. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. He realizes now that not only has God been good to his master Abraham in providing, but God has been good to him as well. Even in his position as a servant, God has led him on that journey. He has provided and he is working out all these things to bring about his true, wonderful love story. The servant praises God for his answered prayer. And God answers that prayer to bring about his purpose which is why it's good that we we pray for god's purposes to be done in the world and we praise him for answering our prayer that's why it's important like when we pray the lord's prayer we start off praying to god praising him before we pray for our own needs that's why we pray your kingdom come your will be done we praise god and we look to him as we pray
So that's the second way we see God working through to bring about his, his plan for this love story to the world through godly prayer. And then thirdly, we see godly obedience and we see how Rebecca chooses obedience to God's plan even over her family. So this is God working through godly obedience. So we, we skipped over a few bits there, but the servant tells Rebecca and the family about this, this prayer and about what he is there for. And then we skip on down to verse 54 and pick up the story again and see what happens. See what the tension was for Rebecca and how she would have to choose obedience in her circumstances. So verse 54. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the young woman remain with us 10 days or so. Then you may go. They wanted to hold on to her for a bit longer. But he said to them, do not detain me now, now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. It's interesting, isn't it, how her family, this brother and mother, are eager to hold on to her. And, well, you think about it, if she's willing to, to carry sort of 500 gallons of water for a complete stranger, you can understand why they want to hold on to her. A good kind of person to have in your family. No doubt she's a good worker. But actually there's something else going on there. Maybe we don't quite appreciate in our culture, as perhaps uh, they would have done then, is actually the strength of family ties. And the importance of, of staying faithful to that, that family that you're born into and sticking around to help in all sorts of ways. Helping with, with getting water from the well, helping with raising children in the family. That strength of family ties is perhaps lost in our culture. And that was the particular cost that, that Rebecca had to work through in terms of thinking about what her obedience looked like. Sometimes it's really costly to follow God and to be obedient to his plan. Jesus makes this abundantly clear in Matthew chapter 10. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. We think that sounds harsh in our culture, but Jesus was speaking to a culture that, that prioritized parents above anything else. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The cost to godly obedience is costly, isn't it? Well, Rebecca can't just uh, do nothing. She has to make a decision. Is she going to go with this servant and be obedient to to God's plan? And, And clearly how God is working all these things together in this miraculous answer to prayer. Or is she going to stay with her family for a bit? Just let things cool down and... Maybe think about what happens. We'll have a look at verse 57. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. They want to find out what she wants to do. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. Rebecca has to make a choice. Is it going to be staying with her family or is it going to be obedient to God's plan? And she chooses obedience. Mindful of the cost, mindful of the fact that she's, she's leaving her, her family and, and a nice life behind to go out to this place where God has promised this old guy Abraham and his sons living there. It's not a picture of security, is it? But it's the right decision to make. She chooses obedience. 
So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. She was willing to give up something big in this life for the sake of something greater in the life to come. She would never see the full extent to how God was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham and his generations after him to bring a blessing to the world through his son, Jesus. But she was willing to give up something big in this life for the sake of something greater. And so often that is the case with godly obedience. Are we willing to give up something great in this life for the sake of something much better in the next? I'll leave you to work out what that might be for you in your life if God's calling you to that kind of obedience. But we see this third thing then of how God is bringing about his plan, this true love story through human obedience. And last of all, all of this leads up to God working through godly hope. And we finally get to the moment when Isaac and Rebecca are, un- are united so that this story can carry on. So that the next generation have a part to play in God's true love story. If we have a look at verse 64 Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac as she's approached. Isaac's out in this field. He sees Rebecca and the camels and his uh, father's servants returning. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. She's preparing to meet her future husband, the one through whom this this marriage will continue on that next generation in God's story, in God's plan and purpose for humanity, their part to play, and when their children come. And it's interesting to, to see Rebecca is clearly a very strong individual. She's very, very physically and Emotionally, she's a very strong individual. We see that in her ability to, to, to make costly uh, obedience a priority and also to, to be involved in strong physical work. But actually, she shows great humility with her strength as well. After she's asked who this is, she took her veil and covered herself. There's still a humility, a humbleness there, along with her obvious strength. And as they meet... We see in verse 66, then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac gets told of what God has done, how he has answered this prayer and led his father's servant on this trip to find him a wife. And it finishes as as this great love story does. Verse 67, Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So we're left at the end of this story with Isaac, who now has a wife. The next stage of God's story can continue God's plan to bring about his true love story. And in each one of these people, God was working through them to bring about his great plan for actually a greater wedding. We see how it finishes with this marriage. And he married Rebecca. 
But actually God is working through all of these details and through the, the whole of the, te- of the Old Testament to bring his son Jesus into the world. And we get told in the Bible about this day of this greater marriage to come between Christ and his people. And actually, each marriage is a picture of that greater wedding to come. I find it increasingly emotional when I'm at a a wedding. Yes, it's wonderful to see the couple's love for one another, but thinking about the fact that 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 wedding is a picture, it's like a signpost for the truth of what one day we who follow Jesus will experience when we are with him. The intimacy, the closeness. Like the bride wearing resplendent white, beautiful, then God's people white, all their sins cast away. No dirt clinging to this bride. So we see in this story, this this marriage is like a pointer to this greater marriage to come. But it's also a story of how God made it possible working through human people like like you and me, getting ready for that greater marriage to come one day when Jesus returns to bring his people home. God's plan throughout the Bible is to get a people ready for that coming day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your commitment to bring about your love story of reconciling a sinful people to yourself, of bringing people like us who have made all sorts of mistakes and not lived our lives for you, to bring us to be with you where you are. Thank you for this story and how it tells us about how you work out that plan and how you are pleased to work through little people like us. Lord, would you please give us that godly motivation, that godly prayer and prayer life and everything that you want to work in and through us to bring about and to share the good news of what you have done with this world. Lord, we look forward to that day when we will be with you and you take us to be with you where you are. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.